what are the top 10 things you need to know about when you're starting home recording? And more interestingly, what does AI think? Yes, in this week's podcast, I'm going to get ChatGPT to define what it thinks the 10 most important aspects of home recording are. And then I'm going to throw a little bit of the human touch on there. I'm going to give you my commentary and let you know, do I agree with these? Can we build upon them? And are we doomed? Do we just let AI take over the world? Hello, my name is Pete Johns. This is the Studio Live Today podcast, where my goal is to help you create, record and release your best music. And I had this idea through the week. It may be a great idea. Maybe it's a terrible idea. Let me know. Let me know what you think of this. But I've decided to hand things over to AI. I'm giving them the keys to the podcast this week because I wanted to do something. I wanted to do a show about the top 10 things I think you should know, or at least you should start learning about when you start home recording. But instead of it just being me, I'm like, that's a bit boring and predictable. Let's jump into chat GPT. So if you're watching here on the video version, what we're going to do is I've put in a prompt here and I've said, Write a list of the top 10 things that someone learning home recording for the first time should know about, including a few sentences about each topic. I'm then going to break these down and again, hopefully I can give you my views on these and add a little bit of the human touch. So uh, let's let the robots do their work. Chat GPT, what have you got for me? Well, it said certainly learning home recording. Oh, no, it's already gone too fast. Let's uh, <laughs> let's wait for it to produce its 10 things. I'm already seeing some of the things here. They look pretty good. Yeah, they look okay. All right. No, that's not bad. So let's just read you the intro. It says, certainly learning home recording can be a rewarding endeavor, but there are several key things to keep in mind to ensure your success. Here are the top 10 things someone learning home recording for the first time should know about. I feel a little bit like David Letterman doing this. So uh, I, I will go through these one by one. Again, if you're watching on the video version, you'll see these on the screen so you can see proof that I'm doing this live to tape. I'm not cherry picking. I'm not changing anything up. If you are listening to the audio version, You'll just have to trust me or jump over to studiolivetoday.com to find out what's going on here. So number one, it's talking about room acoustics. Now, this is very interesting considering that, again, if you're watching the video, I'm recording here in my bedroom studio. So acoustics are probably not my strong point. So for the fact that it's number one, oh, it's a little bit confronting for me. Let's see what they have to say. Understanding the acoustics of your recording space, proper room treatment and positioning of your equipment can significantly impact the quality of your recordings by reducing unwanted reflections and resonances. Now, yes, I agree with this wholeheartedly. It's a, it's a very good and important thing to think about because if you're recording in a large echoey space with lots of flat surfaces, reflective surfaces, you're going to get a lot of echo. You're going to get a lot of reverberation, unwanted reverberation if you're recording in a larger space. So it is a good idea to be able to record in a smaller space, to be able to record somewhere where you're not directly in like a small boxy four walls where things are going to be bouncing around is good. If you got soft furnishings, so I have curtains, I have a bed because I'm in a bedroom studio, I have a bunch of things around me that are going to help with that sort of thing. And outside of that, you've got things like bass traps, you've got acoustic treatment, you can go the whole hog. But remember, acoustic treatment or room acoustics, it's not about 
the soundproofing. It's not the old putting the egg cartons on the wall. That's got nothing to do, well, it has a little bit to do with room acoustics, but not much to do with room acoustics. But room acoustics is more about finding a space where you can record and then mix and then master where you're not going to get a whole lot of interference. So, you know what? If you, I've always said, if you're recording and you're in a home studio, jump into your cupboard. Your walk-in robe is a great place to do some vocals. If you want to get some reflections, go into your bathroom. It can be a fun place to play drums or guitars sometimes to get some cool things and use headphones i know i know sacrilege but if you don't have the ideal space if you're in an apartment if you've got lots of people around and you just can't be blasting out and be using monitor speakers that are set up at exactly the right angles then go with a good pair of monitor headphones so room acoustics important and hopefully there's some ideas in there that are going to help you out number two microphones. Different microphones have distinct characteristics and are suited for various purposes. Learn about different types such as condenser, dynamic and ribbon microphones and how to choose the right one for your recording needs. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Microphones. Now, I'm I'm of the opinion that, yeah, use what you've got. If you've got any microphone at all, use it. But Look, yeah, dynamic microphones, so the difference between a dynamic or a condenser microphone, dynamic microphones don't need any phantom power, so you don't need to have that 48 volts of phantom power when you plug them into something, but at the same time, they don't pick up as much of the signal. So if you're using, like me right now, I'm talking into a dynamic microphone. What's great about a dynamic microphone is it rejects a lot of background noise. So if you're in a larger echoey space and you want to make sure that you're rejecting a lot of that background noise, you've got noisy fans, you've got noisy neighbors we know what it's like you've got a crying baby in the apartment above you then a dynamic microphone can be great but if you've got a female vocal if you've got some violins if you've got some very you know precise finger style guitar you may want to go for a condenser microphone that can be a better option for you so there's there's different types of microphones ribbon microphones I don't use ribbon microphones. Most folks in a home studio won't, but when you're at the point where you you want to use a ribbon microphone, you'll know what they are. But they are very, very delicate. If you think that like dynamic and then condenser, ribbon microphones are very, very sensitive and also very easy to break. So don't, don't go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a ribbon microphone unless you really know what you're doing with it. Number three audio interfaces. Yes, audio interfaces. I love talking about audio interfaces, but what are they? Well, what does ChatGPT say? A quality audio interface is essential for connecting your microphones and instruments to your computer or your iPad or iPhone. Sorry, I added that in. That's Pete Edit. Look for options with sufficient inputs, outputs, and good preamps for optimal sound quality. Yes, great point. And uh, I've been noticing if you go over to my gear guide, by the way, studiolivetoday.com slash gear is the place you want to go. If you go over to my gear guide, you will see that I've got uh, a bunch of audio interfaces that I recommend from Focusrite and from Steinberg mostly. They're the two brands that I recommend, but M-Audio, Presonus, even Behringer at a pinch if you really want to go down that track. There are options that you can go with. But for me, I I stick with Steinberg and I stick with Focusrite. I'm staring at them right now. I've got the 2i2 over there from Focusrite. I've got the Steinberg UI22C and I've got uh, over on my shelf, you can't see, but especially if you're on the audio version, uh, I've got the Steinberg UR44 as well. So if you're looking for an audio interface, go with something brand name. If you go something too cheap, you're not going to get the quality in, as it said there, the preamps. And what it doesn't mention there is the digital converter. So the second most important thing 
preamps are important. So making sure that you've got a nice preamp, you plug your microphone in, you get a good quality signal. The second most important thing is the analog to digital conversion. So when you plug in your microphone or you plug in your guitar, it's got an analog signal, it's got to convert it over to digital and you want that to be the most pristine quality that you can get. Now, yes, you can spend $500, $1,000, thousands of dollars on a really high-end interface, but at least get yourself something that maybe $100, $200 is going to give you a good quality signal. And it doesn't really mention the details here, but I'll give you a little bit more USB, USB-C in particular is probably what you're looking for these days so that you can plug into either an iPad, an iPhone, a Mac, a PC. There's ways to convert it. You can use lightning to USB adapters if you're using an iPhone or an older iPad and you can use a USB-A or USB-C if you're connecting up to different devices. But basically the way an audio interface works is you plug in your gear, you plug the audio interface into your device and then you can record in and it captures it using a preamp or using a converter in the case of a, a guitar or a MIDI keyboard, not a MIDI keyboard, but a keyboard or a synthesizer, and then it converts that from analog to digital. So yes, a audio interface, very important. Number four, digital audio workstation. Try that again. Digital audio workstation. Choose and become proficient with a DAW software. This is where you'll record, edit, mix, and produce your music. Popular options include Pro Tools, Ableton Live, Logic Pro, and FL Studio. Good old Fruity Loops. No mention of GarageBand, but of course around here we love GarageBand. And I highly recommend GarageBand, especially if you're starting out. And especially if you want 2,000 plus videos all about how to produce music using GarageBand on your iPhone or your iPad. Shameless self-promotion. But honestly, what I say about DAWs or digital audio workstations is try them out. Usually you can try them either for free or for low cost or you can do trials and things. Logic Pro, for instance, from Apple, you get a free trial, 30 days on iPad, 90 days on your, your Mac, and you can try it out, see if it works for you. If not, go back to GarageBand, it's free. And there's a heap of great DAWs. You've got Cakewalk by BandLab, you've got Reaper on your PC. Basically, there's a heap of options out there, and it's going to depend. The type of DAW or digital audio workstation you need is going to depend on you as a creator. If you love that loop-based kind of circular flow, Ableton Live might be great for you. If you really like simplicity, GarageBand is going to be great for you. If you want all the bells and whistles and every option under the sun, Reaper is actually a really good option, reaper.fm. So whatever you use, though, as it mentions here in the article, and again, the robots are pretty smart here, make sure that you dive into one and learn it. Don't, don't have DAW envy. It's a bit like gas, gear acquisition syndrome. There's door envy where you're like, oh, I guess I'll use GarageBand, but one day I hope to use Pro Tools. It's like, no, you're actually probably better off if you just learn GarageBand inside and out than if you're an absolute beginner or amateur on Pro Tools. You'll get better results results because you'll be able to produce your music quickly, efficiently, effectively, and it'll sound great. Number five, ChatGPT, what do you got for me? Recording techniques. Learn about mic placement, gain staging, and recording levels. Proper techniques during recording lay the foundation for clean and balanced mix later on. I agree. And it did say a clean and balanced mix later on. That was John's not reading it correctly. So they they didn't have the bad English. I did. 
But recording techniques are super important. I come from the school of uh, of Joe Gilder, not technically, not actually, but um, I, I love Joe Gilder and I love his um, home studio videos and I watched a heap of them and I listened to a lot of Joe and his podcast with Graham Cochran and he has something he likes to say, which is get it right at the source. Girats. <laughs> Not to be confused with Borat. No, Girat. Get it right at the source. It just means that it doesn't matter how many plugins you throw at it. It doesn't matter how much mixing and mastering you do. Uh, crap in, crap out. Yeah. I've always said uh, my version of this is if you've got a million dollar song and an iPhone, it's going to sound amazing. But if you've got a crappy song and a crappy recording, doesn't matter what studio or DAW or gear you have, if you record it poorly, it's not going to sound good. doesn't matter if you had a million-dollar studio, it's going to sound like a $2 song. And nobody wants their song to sound like a $2 song. So your recording techniques are super important. Mic placement is very important. So where you place the mic, if you get right up on the mic, you're going to get the proximity effect, which means it's going to sound a lot lower, but you're also going to get some popping peas. If you're too far away from the microphone, then people aren't going to be able to hear what you're saying. So maintaining the distance, trial and error with your mic placement. Try different microphones in different places. If you've just got one microphone, just try it in a few different places. You'll soon learn what works and what works for you. Gain staging, that just means setting the gain of your different devices. So what you're going to find is there's stages of gain. So you can actually have, sometimes you'll have your guitar and then you'll have the input and then you'll have the output into the DAW and you want to line up or align all those. Look, I could, I can go into detail about gain staging. It's less important now than ever. That's a controversial statement. Some people still swear by it. Go and Google or YouTube search gain staging. You're going to get 15 different views and 15 different opinions and then just choose one and do what they say. You'll be fine. It'll be all good. Uh, the other thing we got here, recording levels. Now, this is important. If I can give you, if you listen to one thing from this entire podcast, listen to this. Recording levels. In the digital world, you do not need to crank up your volume. If you've come from an analog world where you're used to pushing the boundary, you want that needle popping against the red, guess what? You do not want that in the digital world because... Unlike analog, where you get a little bit of that analog clipping, it can kind of sound good. It can kind of just give it a little bit of that uh, that tube warmth, that nice top-end warmth that you want. In the digital world, it just sounds distorted and clippy and crappy. So you do not want to go too loud. I recommend my, my rule of thumb is whenever you're setting your, your levels, whenever you're setting your recording levels, 50 to 70%. If your peaks are going above 80% or even 70%, then guess what? If that's you when you're trying it out, have you ever done this before where you, you, you're doing it you're like test one, two, three? Guess what? You test one, two, three. Once you start recording, it becomes test one, two, three. Yeah, you, you go louder, don't you? You go much louder. So you need to make sure that you've got some headroom. And with the going back to the audio interfaces and other things, with the latest gear, or even with gear that's five years and 10 years old, it's got really good processing. It's got a really low noise floor, which means that you don't have to worry about turning it up. You have to crank up your input gain. Now, you don't want it so low that you don't even see your waveform. I made that mistake early on, and that makes editing really hard when you can't see your waveform. But you don't need it bouncing up from the top of it either. You need it somewhere in between. 
Let's go to number six, shall we? And that is signal chain. Understanding the signal flow. Let's try that again. Signal chain. Understanding. Understand the signal flow from your source microphone or instruments through the audio interface to the DAW. A clean signal chain prevents noise and distortion from degrading your recordings. This is actually a really good one. And I hadn't really discussed this in a long time or even really thought about it. But it's so true. The quality of your gear your cables, your connections, that all has a part. Now, you think in the world of digital recording, well, it's either on or it's off. It's either working or it's not. And look, that's the case with a lot of things. When you're plugging in via USB, it's either going to connect up or it's not. But especially with your analog gear, that ain't always the case. You do want to spend a little bit extra, maybe. Maybe don't buy the absolute cheapest gear. Look, I'm someone who uses Amazon Basics. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you need to buy monster cables. You need to spend hundreds of dollars on um, gold and platinum plated cables for all of your XLR cables or your guitar cables. But you can actually go too cheap. And what that's going to do is it's going to introduce a few things. You're going to introduce some occasional cracks and pops. And I've had this problem recently. I had to replace some cables. I had an XLR cable that you might have heard it on a podcast a few months ago. I recorded some podcasts. I didn't realize until I went to the edit. And I'm like, oh no, it's crackling. It's popping. It's no good. Had to replace out that XLR cable. Same with guitar cables. If you buy the absolute cheapest guitar cables, you're going to get the crackles and pops. You're also going to get some ground interference. So you're going to get into interference in your signal chain and that's not going to sound good you're going to get a ground hum from the electricity sometimes you can get that you know that that really bad like that 60 hertz or 50 hertz depending where you are in the world that can be no bueno so do what you can to try and make sure that your signal chain is as clean as possible shorter cables quality cables and make sure that you're not getting any interference through those and you will be all good to go Number seven, I nearly need to sneeze. Number seven, (laughs) editing. Master basic editing skills, including cutting, copying, pasting, and arranging audio clips. Editing helps you create a polished and professional sound by eliminating mistakes and refining performances. Now, this one I'm going to give you a caveat for because do not use this as an excuse to say, well, I can just fix it in the edit. I can say it with me, folks. Fix it in the mix. You know what fixing it in the mix is? A, a pain in the ass, and B, a fallacy. Because you really can't. Crap in, crap out, remember? Same as all the other things we talked about. So fixing it in the mix is not going to work, or fixing it in the edit in this case is really not going to work for you. But I do agree with this. Learning your DAW, goes back to that whole mastering your DAW, being able to learn your keyboard shortcuts, knowing how to cut and copy and paste and move things around, very important. Arranging audio clips, very important stuff. And look, it will depend on the type of music you produce. Some folks will be very organic and they have to do virtually no editing, but it can be the difference between a good song and a great song. Example, when you record a guitar part, some of your editing could be as simple as going to the front of that, making sure that there's no lead in that's going to create that background hissy kind of sound. And that when the guitar's not playing, automate the volume down to zero and then bring it back in or chop out that section. Use your split tool and cut it out because the cleaner you can make it, the less background noise you can have throughout your track, 
Remember, if it's on one track, it's okay. But when you're lining up two, three, four, five, eight, 16, 32 tracks, and you've got a little bit of background noise on all of those, you don't need them to be there. So your editing phase can be really important. A bit of automation, a bit of editing, a bit of copy, copying, cutting and pasting can really help out. So I agree, editing is something, again, probably not thought about as much as it should be. Number eight. <clears throat> mixing. Mixing involves balancing and enhancing individual tracks in your project. Learn about concepts like EQ, compression, reverb, and panning to create a cohesive and engaging mix. And here's this is actually really good that this article, this, I mean, look, AI, don't get lost with the whole AI thing. It's not magic, it's not computers. This is all trained on what people have said. People much smarter than me that have been teaching people to do home recording for decades, this is what this is all trained on. And the fact that mixing and the top 10 things you need to focus on is number eight for home recording, I think is actually great. Because a lot of people get into it and they're like, I'm going to learn how to mix music. Hey, No, you got to learn how to create music, which means you got to learn how to set up your gear. you got to learn how to record a clean. you got to learn how to make your signal flows. you got to learn all the things we've already talked about. And then when you get all that down, mixing becomes important. So what is mixing all about? Well, mixing involves, as we said, balancing and enhancing individual tracks in your project. So EQ, what is EQ? EQ is a volume knob for frequencies. It's as simple as that. So when you're turning your volume up or down on a track, guess what? If instead of just wanting to turn the volume, the whole track volume up, you just want more bass, you add an EQ and you enhance the bass. Or more importantly, maybe you add an EQ and you reduce the treble because subtractive EQ, removing the parts you don't want, is often a better idea. It often works better than increasing the parts you do want. Because otherwise, if everything, if you just keep hearing things, you keep turning everything up, it can become like a, a real hot mess at the end of the day. Whereas if you find the bits you don't like and you reduce them, it can actually work a lot better. So subtractive EQ, turning down the different frequencies. And what is bass? Well, it's the low end. What is treble? It's the high end. What is mids? It's the middle. It's not rocket science. You don't need a master's degree to be able to mix or a mixing degree to be able to master. But we'll talk about that in a moment. So learn about that. Compression. What is compression? Well, all compression is, is it's flattening out your signal. So if you have something that goes very loud and then it goes very soft, you want it to be at a fairly consistent volume. So all compression is doing is actually pushing down the peaks. But Pete, compression increases the volume. Well, no, it doesn't. It actually reduces the volume. But most compressors have built-in gain adjustment or makeup gain that pulls everything up. So imagine compression chopping off your peaks and pushing everything down to flatten it out so that you don't have those peaks and troughs as much. And then you pull that whole signal up. So instead of your guitar solo sounding like it's cutting in and out or your vocals are kind of like they're cutting in and out, you get a much more consistent. It's like automatic automation of your volume. It's actually a really cool thing. Learn about it. Type in compression into, into YouTube. You'll get 7,000 videos. Reverb, reverb, reverb. What is reverb? Reverb. All about, all about. It's, it's Well, re reverb is the room sound. So if you have natural reverb in your room, that you're lucky, but you're also unlucky, depending what you want to do. So if, for, for something that I'm doing here for this podcast, I'm trying my hardest to reduce the reverb. So I'm pretty close to my microphone. I'm not talking directly at a flat wall. I've got soft furnishings around me and I'm doing the best I can to reduce the amount of reverberation. But 
as you know, when sometimes you're singing a song, sometimes you want all the reverb. And that's what you can do. You can add an effect, as I just did here, which hopefully worked on the podcast. If you didn't hear anything there, I've done something wrong and it didn't come in the mix. But I tried to turn in, turn on a reverb. I tried to turn on a reverb effect there. <clears throat> and panning. Now, do not underestimate the importance of panning. What is panning? It's how much of your signal is on the left and how much is on the right. And again, if EQ is a volume knob for your frequencies, for your bass and your mids and your trebles, Panning is a volume knob for your left and your right speakers. Now, when something is in the center, it is just equilaterally on the left and the right. And then if it's all on the left, guess what? It's 100 on the left and zero on the right. Or it could be 70, 30. It could be wherever you want. And that's all that panning is. It's just turning up the volume. You've got a stereo mix. You're mixing in stereo. You've got a stereo channel. So therefore, if you turn it up on the left, it turns down on the right. That's all you're doing. So just imagine that you've got two tracks. Every track, if it's a stereo track, is like two tracks. And just think about that in terms of that. It can either be muted, which is zero on both, or it can be 100 on the left, or 100 on the right, or it can be 50-50. And that's all that panning's about. It's not, it's not hard. It's not a difficult thing. But getting a balanced mix can be difficult. So learning how to use your panning. And it won't come straight away. Just, just keep chipping away at it. Keep learning. Keep trying. Number nine, monitoring, monitoring. Invest in good studio monitors or headphones. Ooh, that's going to annoy some of the purists. Or headphones to accurately hear the nuances of your recordings. Reliable monitoring ensures that your mixes will translate across different playback systems. Yeah. So, monitoring, what do you want? Well, you either want monitoring headphones. So, that's headphones that are flash. Are you going to crank your beats by Dre? No, you're not. Do you want the X bass from Sony? No, you do want not. You want it to be as flat and boring as possible. Why? Because if the bass is enhanced, you're not going to turn the bass up enough because it's going to be already enhanced and you're not going to get an accurate, balanced mix. You want something really flat. Now, I, I use some pretty low-end studio monitors, to be honest. I love the Sennheiser HD 280 Pro. They're about a $100 headphone. They're great for tracking because they're closed back, meaning you won't get any of that bleed or at least not much bleed into from if you're playing back sound or you're playing back your audio. And they're actually pretty good for mixing. Now, you can go up, you can go $200, $400, $1,000, $2,000. You can spend whatever amount of money you want on all this sort of gear. But a good pair of monitor headphones are like a hammer. Like, you're not going to go to the building. So you, you might not have a nail gun, but you're going to have a hammer. And that's the way I look at a good pair of monitor headphones, is that they're one of the first things I think that you should acquire for your home studio. And again, studiolivetoday.com slash gear. The gear guide will tell you everything that I recommend, including those Sennheiser HD 280 Pro. Monitor speakers are the other options that you have, some reliable monitoring speakers. Now, again, same sort of deal. You don't want ultra-hyped bass. You want some nice flat monitors that you can maybe do some tweaking to. Here in this studio, I have a very small room, this bedroom studio. I use the Presonus Iris. They're three and a half inch near field monitor speakers. They pack a decent punch, but they're nothing to write home about. But I know them. I know them really well now. I know where they are. And I know that when I'm mixing a song, I know what it sounds like here. And I know what that translates to. And that's one of the most important things. A lot of people say to me, how do I get my mix so it sounds really good on headphones and sounds good in the car? 
Sounds good in the car and sounds good on a Bluetooth speaker. Sounds good on a Bluetooth speaker and sounds good on earbuds. This is the big challenge. And this is why, no matter how good your monitoring setup is, and even the absolute pros that are producing in those million-dollar fictional studios I talked about before, even the pros use reference monitoring, which means taking your mix and playing it in different places. So grab your mix and stick it on your iPhone and go and play it. Grab your mix and take it to the car. Put it in your boombox. Play it through your Bluetooth speaker whatever you can do to hear it in different places. Because when you're listening on your monitor speakers, it may sound fabulous. And then you realize that when you play it on anything that has more bass, it's way overhyped. So what do you do? You come back and all that great learning you did about EQ in the mixing, you start tweaking those. You start reducing some of the bass frequencies and some of the instruments, especially instruments that don't need that much bass. You may not realize that your vocals have too much bass or your guitars have too much bass. Your bass drum and your bass guitar they probably should have bass. But when you've got good monitoring, you will learn this stuff. And it's more important. This may be a controversial statement. And again, some of the pros may come at me and say, what are you talking about, Johns? But in my opinion, it is more important to know your gear and know how things sound on your gear and then how that actually translates onto other gear than to have the best gear. Sure, if we could all have a pristine mastering studio with perfect acoustic treatment and eight-inch um, studio monitors that cost $10,000 a pair, we would. That would be fabulous. But we don't, and therefore we can't. So whatever you've got, just learn. And the best thing is, here's a great tip. Listen to music. I spend time in this studio looking at my speakers, listening to my favorite songs, listening to the sort of music that I aspire to produce. Why do I do that? Because then when I'm playing my music, I know what good music sounds like through those speakers. So if I make my music sound like the good music that's coming out of those speakers at my face, then it's going to sound like those songs. It's, it's like the old reference monitoring, bringing in a track and putting it into your mix. It's the same with your listening environment. That was a long time of monitoring, so we better finish up. Number 10, mastering. It's very important. It's very appropriate, I guess. Not important. The mastering is last. What is the AI robot have to say about mastering. While optional, mastering can greatly improve the final sounds of your recording. It involves finalizing the mix, optimizing loudness, and preparing tracks for distribution on different platforms. So what is mastering? Well, mastering is pretty much what it says there. It's the final step. If you're mixing gets you to like 90% mastering is putting the cherry on top of your cake. It's that last 10%. It's, it's what a lot of people say about mastering is it makes your mixes radio ready. Now, we don't really listen to much music on the radio, at least I don't, many folks don't. Or I'll call it streaming ready or release ready or distribution ready. And if you want to distribute, DistroKid, yep, studiolivetoday.com slash DistroKid. They are a sponsor of this channel, but they are a great way to get your music out there to the world. Mastering, it did say it's optional. And look, it is. And some people kind of master as they go along. And with tools like Logic Pro, I've started using Logic Pro a lot more. You can literally just throw a limiter on your master bus, stick that on, and that's going to bring your volume up and make your, your final mix competitive. So mastering doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to do a lot. It can literally just take a really good final mix and make sure that those levels are competitive. Because the last thing you want is when you release your song, you don't want to hear like, Muse, your song. Foo Fighters, your song. Katy Perry. 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, but you don't want to have your volume not be competitive. At the same time, you don't want to uh, Metallica it and make it so loud that, you know, it, it's just you've removed every piece of dynamics from the song. You want to find that happy medium where it's going to sound good and it's going to sound balanced but it's not blowing your eardrums out and it's not way, way, way over the top. So mastering is an important thing to at least understand the concepts of. Even if you're, as I say, even if all you're going to do with your mastering is make sure that your volume, use a limiter, which is just a compressor, which is like a brick wall compressor that just brings the overall volume of your mix up. But again, don't go nuts with this stuff because the last thing you want to do is not have any dynamic range at all in your song unless that's the way you want to go you do you let's see the, the yep there's a little summary here so let me just read you this summary for those that are not watching the video version remember that learning home recording is a gradual process don't be discouraged by initial challenges practice experimentation and continued learning will lead to improvement over time online tutorials forums and communities are excellent resources for sharing knowledge and receiving feedback on your recordings. It could have been written by me, myself, and I, because this is exactly what I talk about all the time here at Studio Live today. The reason I started this channel and my why, my passion, my my reason, my raison d'etre is exactly that, to help you create, record, and release your best music. Now, I'm, I'm a student too. I'm learning this stuff as well. I'm reading chat GP. No, I'm, I'm learning from other people. I'm part of communities. I'm sharing my music. I'm getting feedback. I'm doing all the things that I'm recommending because I honestly believe that once you say, well, I know that now I'm an expert and you stop learning, you stop growing and you kind of stop doing the best that you can do. So my advice to you, for what it's worth, is listen to Robot. No, <laughs> is that ChatGPT, A, did a pretty good job with all of this stuff, and B, don't be scared of AI. All of that stuff, you could have gone to a Joe Gilder or a Rick Beato or a Graham Cochran or any home recording guru, and they would have said all that stuff because, guess what? AI is trained on all those people. Now, do we need those people? And do we need me? Do we need folks that can expand upon this stuff? I think we do. Because you know what ChatGPT is not going to be able to do? Listen to your mix. Provide you with feedback. Give you a platform to, to play your music like my Your Music Live show that we do every week. Host Song Timber, which is coming up around the corner if you're listening to this or watching this podcast here in August. So there's a bunch of things that I think only a human can do. But I'm actually, again, I'm, I'm pleasantly impressed and surprised that a list like that can pop up. And hey, who knows? Maybe in the future we'll ask it another 10 tips or maybe 10 ways for your songwriting. And this is, again, this is where I think AI comes into its own. It's not replacing. We all need to just take deep breaths, relax, because in my experience, AI, don't call it artificial intelligence. I call it human-led automation. And if anything, it just gives you ideas that you can then harness and take and turn into something great. So don't be afraid of the AI, but I hope you got some value out of this one and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, if you're watching the YouTube version, thumbs up, guns up, hit the like button right down below. Leave me a comment if you're watching on the replay. If you're here live, hello, you're awesome, you rock. If you're listening on the audio version, 
why not leave a little review or a rating on your pod player of choice. And don't forget, you can get on over to studiolivetoday.com. You can check out Song Timber. You can check out the gear guide. You can follow me on all the places. You can subscribe to the audio version. You can do it all there. Studiolivetoday.com, your one-stop shop. Thank you so much for all of your contributions and for being with me on this week's podcast. I had a blast. It was actually really fun seeing what uh, AI had to say about this topic. And as we say at the end of each and every show here on Studio Live today, please be kind to yourself, be kind to others, keep creating, and I'll see you on the flip side. Bye for now.